listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. Last week, we began a new series um, called Death Benefits. That's the reaction I expected. Um, Last week, we looked at John chapter 12 and how Mary worshiped Jesus with extravagance. And, and she could do that because she understood that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. She, she knew that because of what he had already done in her brother's life and raising him from the dead. And I told you last week that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the greatest death benefit that we could ever receive. And when we come to this revelation, when we realize that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the greatest death benefit for us, when we come to this knowledge, it should change the way that we see death. Now, I'm going to let you get a head start with me today. Um, I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles or your digital devices to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I, I recognize it's not an easy book of the Bible to find in your New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm giving you plenty of time to get there. There was a, a teacher, garbage collector, and a lawyer that wound up at the pearly gates together. And St. Peter met them at the gates, and he informed that each of them that in order to get into heaven, each one would have to answer a question, just a single question before they could get into heaven. So Peter addressed the teacher, and he asked her, he said, what was the name of the ship that crashed into the iceberg? There was a movie about it. The teacher answered quickly. She said, that would be the Titanic. And Peter said, well done, you good and faithful servant. You may enter into the joys of the Lord and, and allowed the teacher to walk right in. St. Peter turned to the, the garbage man and figuring that heaven probably didn't need all the odors that were associated with this guy. Um, decided to make the question a little bit harder, same subject, but a little bit harder. And Peter asked the, the garbage man, said, how many people died on the ship? Fortunately for this guy, uh, the trash man, he had seen the movie. And so he quickly said, 1,228. Well done, you good and faithful servant. A little shocked, but, but go ahead. You can enter into the joys of the Lord. And that's when Peter turned towards the lawyer and he said, now name every one of them. Heaven, so many mysteries about heaven. He heaven is, is something that we're all striving for, for all of the believers in the room. This is, this is something we want. Maybe there's unbelievers in the room that you're skeptical about it. Is there life after this life? And I, I have to tell you, and I'm going to be very honest with you, that this series, it serves a few purposes but I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and just make it known right now that for those of you in the room that you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm praying and believing that by the end of this message today that you will submit your heart to him. Because I don't want you to face eternity without him. And I'm, I'm, I'm desperate right now for you to receive the knowledge and the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness. And I believe it's that important that I, I want to give you some time to think about it. I want to give you some time to, to contemplate this because I want you to be led into a decision today. And, and right now, the Holy Spirit has been commissioned to begin dealing with your heart. If you're an unbeliever in the room, you're not by yourself, I promise you. If you're an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit right now is starting to pull at your heart. And I don't want you to ignore that. 
And by the end of this message today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that forgiveness and everlasting life. Amen? I was honest with you last week as I shared the development of this series. I, have, I did not take into consideration how emotional this series is for me. Um, this past year and a half has been full of death. And I've had to say goodbye to too many friends and too many family members. And even today, a family associated with our church will lay a son to rest way too soon. There's another family in our church that unexpectedly lost a father this week. There's, there's a friend and his wife that lost their infant child this week after multiple heart surgeries. Just yesterday uh, afternoon, I got a, a text from a good friend here in our church that found out that his biological father, whom he had never met, had passed away. And tomorrow, I will speak in Tallahassee at a memorial service for an old family friend and a former member of, of a church that my dad pastored. And it has just been a tough, tough year with so much death. And, and it, it is the way of life. It's appointed unto man wants to die. We know that. We understand that. But sometimes we scratch our heads because some of the deaths don't make sense, right? And, and when we're faced with that, it leaves us with questions from time to time. This past year has caused me to reevaluate my view of death. And knowing that you're probably in the same boat, uh, I, I, we're all trying to navigate through these losses, trying to figure it all out. And I've decided that with this series, I wanted to share my reassurance with you. It's not that I ever lost faith. It's just that I had to dig in deep and be reminded of some of the promises and some of the things that are yes and amen, some of the things that I know to be factual, know to be true. And I hope that through my exploration of that, that you too will be reminded. And for some of you, you may come to this knowledge for the first time, and that's perfectly fine. It doesn't matter how long we know, we've known it. It just means, it, 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 it's what's important is that we just all know it, right? We need to know the saving power of Jesus, and we need to understand what eternal life looks like. And the conclusion is that death looks very different for a believer versus a non-believer. This is important. For a person that trusts Jesus as their Lord, there is one outcome. For a person who does not trust, trust Jesus as their Lord, there's a completely different outcome. And, and one of my goals with this series is to help us see the advantage that a believer has when they die in Christ versus dying without him. And, and this is so important for us. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 13 through 18 with a few breaks in between. Paul writes, what, what I want to say to you today. But we do not want you to be uninformed. Some, some versions of the Bible say ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant in its truest form. We do not want you to be ignorant, uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. It's an interesting word that Paul uses there, asleep, asleep. This is Paul's way of, of softening the blow. This would be like us saying, um, that someone has transitioned from this life, passed away. Rather than just saying that they're dead or they've died, Paul is being sensitive to the church and the readers in Thessalonica, and he is saying, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, but who have no hope. He said, I don't want you to grieve like people do who don't have hope, unbelievers that have no hope. And I noticed I notice that 
that Paul never told us that we will not grieve because that would be impossible. Paul does not say, uh, my, my wish for you is that you just simply would not grieve. He's clarifying that our grief, that we as believers, when we have grief, that it is filled with hope, that, that we don't grieve the way that the world grieves, that when we grieve, we know that there is hope at the end of this. We know that there is an eternal life. And, and, and it's true, we have to weep the death of a loved one because we, we will not be able to see them on a day-to-day -day basis any longer. Here on this earth, we will not have them the way that we once had them, and that hurts. There's no other way around it. It hurts. It causes grief. But Paul knew that death here on this earth is not the end. Amen? Paul understood that, that, that what happens to the body here is not the end. Verse 14 for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Again, an easy way of saying those who have already passed. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the, trumpet, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And that is what I want to do for you today. I want to encourage you with these words from Paul so that we can all get this, we can all understand it, and that when we walk out of here, we'll have a better understanding of, of what death means. I, I have noticed that many people, they, they generate their opinions uh, about death from, from movies they watch, TV shows that they, that they watch, maybe books that they read, and the music that they listen to. And it's because we are surrounded by media, and, and, and let me tell you, I love music. Don't get me wrong. I love music. I really love music. My family will tell you I'm a, I'm a music fan. I love music. I like all kinds of music, except country. But I like, no, no, no. I like some country. There's not a lot of it, but I like some country. But as much as I love a good song, church, our theology is not found in Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven. Okay, it's classic, right? Classic. For all the classic rock lovers in the room, I'm not knocking your song, okay? Enjoy the song. Just don't base your theology off of that song. I know that for some of you in the room, you listen to Locked Out of Heaven by Bruno Mars, and you probably shouldn't, but you do. And uh, <laughs> I can assure you that Bruno has, has, has no idea what, what heaven is really like. For others, it's, it's GNR, Guns N' Roses, knocking on heaven's door. I love that song. How many love the song? Yeah? Yeah, we're showing our age right now. But, but we love that song. We do. It's a great song. Great so but don't you look at Axl Rose for, for theology. <laughs> I promise you he's going to lead you astray. And, and there are many details about heaven and life after death that the scriptures do not spell out. But there are enough details that should help us grieve with hope. The first thing that you need to realize when it comes to death is who is in charge of death. I think if we can get an understanding of who is in charge of death, we might be able to get a better glimpse of what God wants to show us 
that what happens through the death of a Christian. So we need to establish who is in charge of death. In John 10 and 10, Jesus said these words. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's, that's, that's the words of Christ. So he spells this out for us that Satan came, the thief comes, to steal and kill and to destroy. And church, I'm afraid that sometimes we incorrectly assign blame to God for something that he did not do, but yet we point our fingers at God and we blame him for it. Now let me say this to you. God created you with all of your emotions. He understands them better than you do. Just because you might be a little confused and you might be assigning blame, God does not hate you. You might hate God right now because you don't understand it. But God does not hate you. God has not closed the door on you. The door is still wide open. And it, God has brought you to this moment because he wants you to better understand who is to blame for death. Just this week, I had an appointment with someone who was mad at God. Their own words, mad at God because of the death of a loved one. And I get it. I get it. It's tough. It's tough when you don't understand it. Because I've been there and I've asked some of the same questions. If God is sovereign, if God is all-powerful, if God is a loving God, then why? Why did they have to die? Why did, did, did they have to die that way, especially? I've asked those questions myself whenever I, uh, I lost my father last August, August of 2020, when my father passed away. It, it didn't seem fair to me that a man that loved people so much that he gave his life just to the ministry of the church, and, and he just loved fellowship with people. Why did he have to spend the last five and a half months of his life secluded from his family in an assisted living facility, us not able to see him? It, it just didn't make sense to me. And I'll be honest with you, I, I spent some nights crying, and I spent some nights questioning, God, where are you in the middle of all this? Because this is not the death that my father deserved. And so I know what it's like to to be hurt and, 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 and to, to almost be offended at times because God didn't do it the way that you thought that it should be done and how someone deserved to live and how to die. But what I have learned, church, is that when I recognize this assignment of blame, the first thing that I have to do is properly assign responsibility to who is in charge of death. James 1 and 17 tells me that every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. Every good and every perfect gift. So this tells me that God is responsible for the good and the perfect gifts of our life. The last time I checked, cancer is not a good and perfect gift. Would you agree with me? Heart disease is not a good and perfect gift. I understand that God doesn't cause cancer. You have to understand this, church. God didn't create COVID and unleash it upon the human race. God doesn't end life prematurely. And many times we go into these times of crisis without a good understanding, without a theological understanding, and we assign this blame to God, and, and, and we ask these questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? And, 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 and it boggles our minds, and, and the, the answer to that question, and to all of those questions, is simply this, it's because we live on a cursed planet. 
that at the moment that humanity sinned against God, this planet was cursed. And now we have to live on a cursed planet And sometimes there's some byproduct of that because of sin and the effects of sin. We sometimes find ourselves dealing with the byproduct of sin. And that can be sickness. It can be disease. It can be the injustices that humanity puts upon each other, whatever that looks like in your life or for a group of people. Satan is the thief. He has come to steal kill and destroy and he desires to ruin our relationship with God through the hurt and the pain of death he knows his eternal punishment and if he can get you to blame God and live the rest of your life blaming God for something that you truly don't understand to where you no longer put your faith in God then he has succeeded because he knows his eternal punishment and what he wants to do is get you there with him. He, he, misery loves company, right? And he is a miserable being and he wants you to, to endure eternal punishment with him. And so he causes us to think unclearly because we don't dig into the scriptures and we don't really know who's responsible for this. But praise God. God had an answer for it, didn't he? God had an answer for this. Satan may be responsible for it, but he doesn't have the final say over death. Before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he looked at Lazarus' sister named Martha. And in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, the Bible says that Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, listen to this, Even after dying, even after dying, they're going to live. He goes on to say, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. These are strong, bold, bold statement, bold statement, strong words. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will never, ever die. Through Jesus Christ, we don't end with this life, church, And what we have to understand is that eternity is more real than this life. And I hope, I pray that I can get you to see that. I pray that today the scales are pulled back from your eyes to where you can understand that eternity is more real than this. The Bible tells us that all of this, 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 all of this will pass away. But his word will always remain. John 1 and 1 tells us who the word is, and the word is Jesus. Amen? And I promise you, his word will remain. It does not end with this life. Eternity is more real than what we give it credit for, even more real than this life. But in order for this to happen, Jesus had to conquer death. Satan may be responsible for death. But in order for him to to have dominion over death, Jesus has to conquer death. The Apostles' Creed is one of the oldest creeds, if not the oldest creed of the Christian faith. And, And it simply says this. It says, we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under suffered under Pontius Pilate. Here it is, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. I, I hope that you, you heard it there. I hope that, that it, it made sense to you because it, it, it says that Jesus descended into hell between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Between the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus descended into hell. Throughout the Bible, the number three represents perfection. I've told on this before. I don't have time to get into it today, but just let me give you a couple of examples here. Throughout the Bible, anytime you see the number three, it represents perfection. The Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is perfection. You don't need anyone else. That's all you need. That is perfection. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We understand this, that in order to break strongholds in our families, what some would refer to as generational curses, even habits that are passed down from generation to generation, we know this, that when you have the seed of, of, of a righteous generation, it's, it's the reason why it comes in threes. Uh, throughout the Bible, we, he is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three consecutive generations. If you want to break a, a, a generational curse in your family, if you want to break a stronghold that keeps haunting uh, one generation to the next, what you need is, is, is three generations, three generations, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you will break those strongholds. I promise you, it is divine perfection. And in divine perfection, Jesus was, for the lack of a better word, dead. We'll just say that and leave it at that. He was dead for three days. Or was he? Was he? I mean, I think a lot of people, when they think about it, they think, okay, they took him off the cross. They laid him in a tomb, and he, just, he, he laid on that, that hard rock slab, you know, in, until resurrection morning. And, and that's how we picture it. Like, like he's, just, he's just dead, you know, he's, he's just there. We know this, that, that he died and was buried on the, the first day, which was Friday. We know that he was resurrected early on the third day, which was Sunday. But what happened on day two, the second day. Now, if he is the resurrection and the life, let me tell you, he didn't need three days if that's, if that's the case because they would have buried him Friday afternoon and he would have rose up on, on Saturday morning. Two days and, and the whole event's over. That's it. But there was a mission that had to be done on day two. Don't miss this. On day two, he had a job that had to be done. That if you and I were going to experience eternal life, if we were ever going to put our faith and our trust in a Savior that had our security for eternity, if we were ever going to trust that, then he had some work that had to be done on day two. 1 Peter 3, verses 18 and 19 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that's the crucifixion, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, here it is, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. This is deep. When Jesus died in the flesh, he came alive in the spirit, and so do we. When he, he is the forerunner of our faith. 
And when Jesus died in the spirit, he was setting the example for what will happen with us too. He came alive in the spirit. And the Bible says that he went preaching in, here's the word, Sheol. Sheol, it's the place where the dead were. The Jews believed that Sheol, often translated as Hades or even some Bibles as hell, it was separated into two sections. And, and, and they, they believed that, that one side was for the righteous and the other side was for the unrighteous. I didn't mean that y'all were unrighteous. It just worked out that way. Sorry. But, but they believed that one side of Sheol, Hades, was for the righteous. The other side was for the unrighteous. And, and, and what you have to understand is that there were Old Testament saints in Sheol waiting the arrival of the Messiah that had been prophesied. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. And all these, all of those saints that died before the coming of the Messiah, all of those that are waiting in death, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Listen to Psalm 49 and 15. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. The psalmist knew that the Messiah was coming and that he would rescue him from that place of Sheol. Jesus went marching through death, hell, and the grave, claiming what was rightfully his, taking back the keys. He literally went to hell and back. Revelation 1 and 18, he says this, the words of Christ. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. He got the keys back. You know, Satan may have been given dominion for a little while and had held the keys to, to death, but Jesus said, no, I'm in charge of this. You're responsible for death, but I'm in charge of it. I'm taking the keys back. And when I say they're resurrected, they're resurrected. When I say they will live, they will live. You don't get to determine that any longer. We don't have to fear death, church, because he has already conquered death. 1 Corinthians 15 and 55 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? And it is for this reason that God's view of death is often different than our view of death. It's true. Again, he created our emotions. He understands the mourning. He understands the grief. But when it comes to the death of a child of God, God sees it completely different than we do. Listen to Psalm 116 and 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. God sees death to one of his children completely different than the way that we see it. God looks at it as, as something that is treasured. Precious in his sight are the death of his saints. It's because God knows better than we do that this is all temporary. That this life is but yet a vapor. And there is an eternal life to which there is no end. So what happens right after a believer dies? I, th I think we need to address it today. I don't want to take a long time, but, but I think it's important. If we're going to have a healthy understanding of this, 
and good theology to back it up, then we need to have a good understanding of what happens right after a believer dies. And if I'm being truthful with you today, which I feel like I need to be, if we're going to build some doctrine out of this, it, then, then I have to first tell you that there are just some things about death that we don't yet know. And we will not understand this side of glory, this side of heaven. We're not going to understand them. And we like to convince ourselves of these things because they bring comfort to us. And I'm not here to mess anybody up because I know there's different ways of coping. And I knew diving into this series that it's touchy. And that, that, that if I'm not careful, that, that maybe someone who has lost someone to, to death, that, that, that if, if I'm not careful, I'm going to step all over what brings you comfort. And, and, and I'm not here to diminish that. I'm not here to annihilate that out of your life. I just think it's important for us, if we're going to talk about this and we're going to theologically look at it, we've got to know what, what we are assuming and what we know to be fact. But I will say this, when a family is grieving, I'm certainly not one to bring correction. It, that, that's not what I, I, I like to do either because sometimes you, just, you need a coping mechanism. Here, here's what we don't know. We don't know that at the moment when someone dies, we don't know if they're awake or asleep in the spirit realm. We, we don't know that. We don't have scripture to back it up. I believe that there's scriptures that can back up both sides depending on how you interpret it. I know the Bible says that he gives sleep to those that he loves. I understand that. That could be interpreted as rest, that he, just, he, he gives us a rest from the worries and the, the struggles of this world. I, I just don't know. And uh, some people refer to it as a soul sleep. And, and I'm not certain that I'm, I'm completely sold on that because we don't have scripture to back it up. I'm not completely sold that, that we are wide awake at the moment that we die. I, I, I don't know. That's just one of the things that we don't know. Another thing we don't know is that if our loved ones are looking down on us, that brings comfort to some people. But let me tell you, it brings comfort to us when we have successes in life. It, it's, it's really comforting to think that, that grandpa is looking down when, when you're getting married or when you give birth to a child. But the Bible also says that there's no tears in heaven. And I know if they're watching from above that there's some things on this earth that are just going to discourage them and cause them so much pain and certain things even in our own lives that we don't want them seeing. And, and so I question that. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Again, I'm not saying it's not true. I'm just saying these are the assumptions that we have that we just don't have the proof for. We know that there will be a reunion with, with loved ones who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. We know that for the Christians that there is a reunion, but we don't know exactly when. And it's comforting for us to think sometimes that, that as soon as, as a loved one steps over to the other side, that there's someone waiting there, a loved one. And it may be, it may be. I'm just telling you, these are the assumptions, the things that we don't know. But for all that we do not know, I promise you that there are certainties that we do know. And that's what I want to share with you here as I close this out. The first and most obvious change that a believer will experience after they take their last breath will be a new body. Our last breath here will be our first breath in eternity. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that I'll get a new body. 
I know that for some of you, 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 you have no idea, but man, this, this old pastor's back is worn out. Mandy will tell you. Certain friends in the room, they know. Just can't do what I used to. I'm looking so forward to having a new back. I really am. But church, think about this. These flawed, ailing, diseased, and aching bodies will give way to a new and improved body. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 tells us, We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Let me correct something with you really quick because you may think that you're a body with a spirit. You are not a body with a spirit. You are a spirit with a body. And there's a big difference between the two. And at the moment you start realizing that, you'll start believing in eternal life because the spirit man will live on. And you've got to come to an understanding that I'm not a body with a spirit. I am a spirit with a body. And one day, this body has to give up this spirit. And there's going to be a moment when I am going to receive a new body that is incorruptible, indestructible. I will not be held captive any longer to the disease and the ailings of this world. There is going to be a moment when I get to experience a new body. You'll get to experience a new body. And all the hardships that come with that body that you have right now now they will be replaced and you will never have to experience them again first corinthians chapter 5 paul continues in verse 1 he says for we know that when this earthly tent i love the, the verbiage that he uses here he says we know that this earthly tent we live in is taken down that is when we die and leave this earthly body we will have a house in heaven an eternal body made for us by god himself and not by human hands we grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. Praise the Lord for that. Amen? We're not going to be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that the, these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. You hear what Paul said? He said, these bodies are going to be swallowed up by life. When we are in the moment of grief, we feel like we've been swallowed up by death. And Paul said, no, 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 these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. For the believer, for the one who's put his trust or her trust in Jesus Christ, these bodies will be swallowed up by life. According to the apostle Paul, he said, we have two homes. It's kind of like a, a summer home and a winter home, except you don't get to choose when you travel back and forth. One's your earthly home, and one is your heavenly home. And our our earthly home, it's, it's described as a tent is the way he said it. It's a temporary fixture to provide temporary housing. I tried my best not to use this, but, but I've got to. It's just too good not to. It's a country song. It's strange how God works, right? But Sister Carrie Underwood said it like this. This is my temporary home. 
It's not where I belong. Windows and rooms that I'm passing through, this was just a stop on the way to where I'm going. I'm not afraid because I know that this was my temporary home. I am not telling you to go to Sister Underwood and and get all of your theological understanding from her. I'm sure she's going to mess you up somewhere along the way, okay? But in this moment, preach it, sister. Preach it, right? That's good. That lines up with, with the doctrine. It lines up with the scripture that this is a temporary home. This is just a tent is what he said. But we are being prepared. More importantly, there is a body being prepared for us that is indestructible. And God is going to put our spirits into those bodies. Amen? The second thing is when a believer dies, they immediately experience a change of environment. Man, do we need a change of environment. How many of you are sick and tired of the division in this world? I am tired of the hate. I'm tired of the politics. I don't care if I tick you off anymore. I just don't care. I'm tired of all of it. I just am. It's this environment, and we are all subject to it because it's everywhere, and it's a cursed planet, and people don't know how to treat each other, and they don't know how to be respectful to each other, and then we have messed up worldviews that are creating weird and, and uh, mindsets, and, and, and it, it's just it's a bad place. It's just a bad environment. Everything down here has been contaminated by sin, and all around us, we find dishonesty, we find deceit, we find lies we find lust. That is the world that we live in. But listen to this, church. When God's people die, they go to a place where these things no longer exist. They're not welcome there. This is a complete change of environment for us as believers. This is the moment when we go from sin to sinlessness, from earth's discords to heaven's harmonies, from all that is bad to all that is good, from all that hurts to all that brings happiness. It's a change of environment. And man, am I looking forward to it. Because some of you tick me off with your Facebook post, but we're going to keep going. (laughs) Revelation 21, verses 4 and 5 speaks to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be Mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It's a whole new environment to where we don't have to worry about who's offending us and who we're offending. It is a brand new environment. Finally, number three is when a believer dies, they will immediately find themselves in the presence of their Savior. Please don't dismiss this. It wouldn't be heaven without him. When we take our first breath in a celestial atmosphere and we turn around and we behold the most amazing person that has ever been, 
please think about this. The magnitude of this. The very one who is responsible for your everlasting life. The one that paid the debt for your sin, for my sin. That died on a cross, shed his blood so that I wouldn't have to pay for my own sins. The one that was resurrected and through his resurrection, I have eternal life. And the very breath that I just breathed in that celestial environment, he's responsible for. How overwhelming will it be when I turn and I see Jesus? Marge, can you imagine when John opened his eyes and realized it was true to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? Dwayne Weeks, your daddy was one of the best men I've ever met. Can you imagine when your dad turned and saw Jesus? Mandy, when your grandmother, when she opened her eyes after her body failed her, and she saw the one that made it possible for her to have a glorified body, My dad, when everything that he hoped and he dreamed to be true was fulfilled in that one moment when he turned and saw Jesus. Of course, my dad's probably going to look at him and go, I kept telling everybody I was going to go in the rapture. My dad did. He told that to everybody. He said, I'm going in the rapture. It's the only lie my, my dad ever told. Can you imagine the moment when you get to see your Jesus face to face? It reminds me of the 1898 hymn written by Eliza Hewitt. Some of you will know it. It says, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. I know that today I've spent a lot of time talking about what death means to a believer. I think it's good for us to understand that. 
It doesn't mean that it still doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't mourn, that we shouldn't grieve. It just means that we have a different understanding. It's like Paul said, we grieve, but we grieve with a, with a hope. It's good news, church. It's good news. Unfortunately, this does not translate to an unbeliever. Someone that has not put their life in the care and the trust of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Someone who has not asked for the forgiveness of their sins. In John chapter 8 and verse 24, Jesus said these words. He said, unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe that I'm the Messiah, that I am the Son of God, unless you believe that, Jesus said, you will die in your sins. There is an eternity. And you don't want to be caught there without Jesus. There's a day coming when we will stand before a holy God. He has to judge sin. We live right now in the age of grace. But there's coming a day that he has to judge sin. He is holy. And to be in the presence of a holy God, you have to be purified. You have to be sanctified. You have to stand before a holy God righteous. And if you're not, you're judged. That's how this whole thing ends. That's how this whole... And from there on, those that know Jesus, they spend eternity with him. For those that don't, it is eternal punishment. I don't have time to get into all that today. Maybe I will sometime, but, but that's not a fun message to preach. And when I stand before that holy God, my righteousness, anything I've tried to accomplish is as filthy rags. But when I stand before him, And Jesus stands beside me. And before I can be judged, he says, this one has been forgiven. This one called upon my, I I am his Lord. He has freely received the forgiveness of his sins because of the sacrifice that I paid for him. And it's at that moment, church, that no matter What I've done, he's got my back. Simply because I said, he's my Lord. And I believe that he can forgive my sins. It's not hard for us. He did the hard part. 
And so you might be here and you have, a, you have yet to make that declaration as Jesus, Lord of your life. Forgive me for my sins and receive the eternal life that is promised to us that I just described to you. I'm not going to make it hard. It's going to be so simple today. Why, why would we make this hard? In just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just simply admit that you're a sinner. Listen, I was a sinner. I am saved by his grace. There are so many people in this room that they've been where you're at. And since you're not guaranteed tomorrow, I'm not guaranteed tomorrow, why would we want to lay our pillow down, our head on our pillow tonight without knowing, knowing that Jesus Christ is our Lord and we've received his forgiveness? I don't want to enter into eternity without him. That's, that's what I know. And I know you don't want to either. We're going to say a prayer. We call it a sinner's prayer. Listen, I, I was that sinner. I've had to pray it. Matter of fact, I pray it most weeks because I still need a Savior. You need a Savior today, and you're going to pray this prayer. I need you to make my prayer your prayer today. Mean it. And as you say this prayer, I, know, I need you to understand that your sins are being forgiven and you are gaining eternal life through Jesus Christ. Amen? So church, let's look to heaven right now and let's help them out. Let's say it corporately all over this room. Say, dear Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that he rose again, giving me eternal life. And today, I make him the Lord of my life. In his name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org. 